Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Vino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls. I'm Dr. Plenty. Today, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and pregnancy. So let's go over a few highlights before we get into our cases for today. Number one, the CDC has recognized pregnant women as being high risk for COVID-19. If you didn't know before, there are a list of different comorbidities um, or medical conditions that people have that put them at higher risk for getting severely sick and are just contracting COVID-19 in general. And so pregnant women have been added to that list because we now know that pregnant women may not be more susceptible susceptible to getting it, but if they do get it, they have a higher chance of having severe disease requiring hospitalization. Some of the other things on that list may include people that have heart disease, hypertension or high blood pressure, diabetes, or some people say sugar diabetes, people that have a history of recent surgery or they're recovering from a surgical procedure, which is why at one point they stopped all elective procedures so that people would not be immunosuppressed. People that have an autoimmune disorder are also at higher risk because your immune system can't fight the disease readily. Autoimmune disorders, when we say that, we mean lupus or um, thyroid disease. Those are autoimmune disorders. And so people that have any alteration in their immune system can be at higher risk for getting severe disease. So now we know that pregnant women are now amongst that. So if you are pregnant, that means that you should be extra, extra careful um, in not contracting this virus. The second and really important thing that we learned over the past week or so is that there are reports of transmission of COVID-19 to the fetus. So if you are pregnant and you get COVID-19, your baby can potentially contract the virus. We don't really know what it causes in a newborn after delivery. In the pregnancy, we have seen that some of those cases, the baby may be small, the placenta may look abnormal at delivery. The few case reports that we do have, the one most recently that proves that it can be transplacental or the virus can cross the placenta, we do see that there can be infarcts or little strokes in newborns in the brain. That's even more reason that we should be a lot more diligent and protect people that are pregnant. Don't go visit people that are pregnant because if you're an asymptomatic carrier and that pregnant woman is asymptomatic, we don't know what their chances are of the baby getting the virus. So we just don't know enough about it. But we do know that that is the newest development and we're starting to basically go backwards and counsel all of our patients that have tested positive for COVID-19 to let them know, hey, now we have updates. Sorry, before we didn't think that it crossed the placenta. Now we know that it can potentially cross the placenta. It doesn't mean that if you have COVID-19, your baby will have it. It doesn't work that way, not as severe. 
But we do know that there's a chance and we don't know how much of the viral load you have to have for the baby to get it. We don't know what trimesters the baby can get it. But we do know that there are case reports, most recently the last case report, which showed virus in the amniotic fluid before delivery, as well as in the placenta and then in the newborn greening. Um, we know that all of those tests were positive um, and that mom was diagnosed at about 35 weeks. That is the newest information on COVID-19. Now I'm going to go to my interns. Who's presenting to the podcast today and for what reason? Our first case is a 19-year-old woman who is 38 weeks and four days pregnant. She's scheduled for a cesarean in a few days, but just tested positive for COVID-19. She's asymptomatic and has a normal temperature, normal blood pressure, and normal oxygen saturation. So this is a very common scenario. Most hospitals across the U.S. at least are doing universal screening of all pregnant women for COVID-19. And they're doing that because so many people are asymptomatic carriers. I'm in the Houston metropolitan area, and so we're considered a COVID hotspot right now. So all of the hospitals I have privileges at are doing universal screening. We find that even if people are asymptomatic, they tend to get a lot worse after the pregnancy because of normal shifting of fluid that can happen because of normal physiology of pregnancy. So we know that in pregnancy, your blood volume doubles. After delivery, that 24 to 48 hours afterwards, your body is trying to shed that and get rid of it. So you see a lot of people in the postpartum period, their ankles are swollen, their hands are swollen, they're urinating frequently. That is for your body to go back to its normal state. But if you have an underlying lung insult, which COVID-19 can cause even in asymptomatic carriers, that fluid shifting can shift into the lungs and put pregnant women more at risk for lung disease and fluid in their lungs or what's called pulmonary edema. So this is a very common case. And so what we're going to do with this case is one, we're going to counsel this patient about their risk. Two, we're going to discharge her home and tell her to monitor her symptoms. So if you're in this situation and you're positive, just monitor your symptoms and then present back once you have symptoms or at the time of delivery. When you go in to deliver, you will have to wear uh, an N95 mask on presentation. Your visitor, if the hospital that you're delivering at allows visitors, will also have to have an N95 mask on all at all times. If you're delivering via C-section, you will not be able to have anybody in the operating room with you. That is universally what's recommended by the American College of OBGYNs. If you are delivering vaginally, some hospitals will allow you to have someone in there at the time of delivery, but you have to have on a mask, right? The visitor has to have on an N95 mask, so they won't be exposed. Everybody else has to have one on as well. Obviously, the person that has COVID-19 would not be regulated in a way that they're uncomfortable pushing. They may not have to wear an N95 mask or any mask while pushing. But that's also why it's very important that everyone else in the room is protected. The baby would be tested immediately after delivery to make sure that the baby is not exposed. And then once this patient goes home, so the patient in the case, um, once they go home, this patient is scheduled for a C-section. So that makes things a, a lot easier to immediately separate the baby from mom. But once the patient goes home, that is a little bit harder. So usually if the mom is still asymptomatic, she can care for her newborn normally. She just has to wear a mask. It is preferred that mom's pump and then feed the baby. Somebody healthy feed the baby so that the mom will not have to be in direct contact with the baby at all times for that 20 minute span of feeding. But if there's no one else present, then she can breastfeed the baby. She's to make sure that the area of the breast is clean, make sure she has on a mask 
at all times when she's handling the baby. And then most importantly, make sure that if she is pumping, that all of that material is sanitized. Basically, you need to wash every piece of that pump, including the outside dials with um, soap and water. Very, very important. Okay, in order to not be in this situation, our pearl for this case and what we should take away from this is that we should just behave as if we're positive. If we behave as if we're positive and take precautions, then we won't spread the virus to anybody else and we likely won't contract the virus. Make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're keeping things clean. Um, when you go home with your newborn, keep wearing a mask when you have to exit your immediate feeding areas and make sure you keep your child away from people that could potentially be asymptomatic carriers. All right, fellow interns, what's our second case? Our second case is a 41-year-old African-American woman who is 31 weeks pregnant and has a history of high blood pressure. She's presenting with symptoms of a cough, difficulty breathing, fever, body aches, chills, which started about two weeks ago. Her temperature is currently 100.9. Her oxygen saturation is 91% and her blood pressure is currently 152 over 98. She also had preterm contractions. Um, so she's been taking some Tylenol and Benadryl for her symptoms. What would you like us to do for this patient? Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind about this particular case is that the patient has a lot of risk factors for having severe disease. This patient is an older patient, um, meaning she's over age 35. So she's considered to have advanced maternal age. This patient already has high blood pressure and the patient also has a temperature and her saturation is extremely low. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a full physical exam on this patient to make sure that they don't have COVID pneumonia or, or another reason that could put them in the ICU. We're going to start oxygen and we're going to give the patient some fluids while we're waiting on those labs. We're going to start antibiotics. And so if you have COVID-19, you probably are going to be started on antibiotics. And I know some people are like, wait a minute, why are we starting antibiotics for a virus, right? Well, antibiotics, especially azithromycin, is used in conjunction with either penicillin or a cephalosporin. Those are classes of antibiotics that treat certain types of strep, okay, like strep pneumonia. So we're empirically going to treat patients for community-acquired pneumonia because we've seen a higher association with COVID-19, as well as underlying bacterial infections. And so until we get those labs back, we're going to start antibiotics. Plus, those antibiotics can have some direct anti-inflammatory properties, meaning they're going to decrease inflammation even if you don't have bacteria there. So we're going to start those antibiotics and we're going to order some labs. So this patient hasn't been tested for COVID, but we should always assume anybody presenting with shortness of breath and a fever with or without any sick contacts, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is community spread, we have to assume that that patient has COVID-19. So we're going to all make sure we have on protective gear, which includes goggles, an N95 mask if you're in the hospital set setting. We're going to start with labs. We're going to check the patient's blood count. We're going to check for kidney infection or kidney disease as well as liver disease because we know that COVID-19 can impact a whole bunch of systems in the body. And then most importantly, we have to make sure we check the baby out too because we don't know, as I said before, what this virus is doing to these babies. And so we're going to make sure that we don't have any evidence of a smaller baby. We need to make sure we're monitoring the baby and put the baby on the monitor to make sure we don't have any sudden drops in the heartbeat. Those are things that would make us move toward delivery sooner rather than later. But for this patient, the goal would be not to deliver this patient. We also 
want to make sure we're increasing that patient's oxygen saturation. And so your oxygen saturation is super important. So even if a patient feels completely normal, their oxygen saturation is 91%. They're not getting blood delivered or oxygen delivered to the blood enough for the baby. And so once that oxygen saturation drops below 95%, then you can have some things that happen in the baby, like a decreased heart rate um, in the baby. That's telling this baby, I'm not getting enough oxygen. And it could also increase your risk of preterm labor because the uterus isn't getting enough oxygen. So it starts to contract. It's almost as if you're working out and you're exercising very heavily. If you don't drink enough water, which water is you know, hydrogen oxygen, then you will get cramps, right? Because you have an increase of lactic acid that builds up in your muscles. The uterus is the same way. So we want to make sure she's well hydrated and she has an oxygen saturation at 95% or above, not just for her benefit, but for the benefit of the baby. Patients that require oxygen can now um, be candidates for what's called remdesivir. So remdesivir is the newest treatment um, of COVID-19. It is experimental. It's on phase three um, of studies right now. Um, but most hospitals across the U.S. are making this available, at least in the ICU setting. Um, at my hospital, it's available if you're on oxygen at all. And we know that remdesivir can shorten the severity of the disease course. And so we are giving that to pregnant women that require oxygen. Now, as I said before, we now know that there are some cases, obviously it's not consistent and information is forever changing, but we do know that there are cases that could have potentially happened with in utero exposure, meaning while the baby was inside the uterus, the baby was exposed. Those guidelines could change. We could down the line see that this antiviral, which is the only one right now known to de- decrease the, the disease course, could be recommended earlier if you had a positive test. But right now it's not. But that is the newest thing, and that's what we would give this patient. Also, steroids. So some steroids have been shown to cause more severe progression of the disease. So we don't we don't do steroids um, such as prednisone, but we do do certain other types of steroids, specifically dexamethasone. And so we would reserve that for the ICU setting. And if we can get our patient to improve their oxygen saturation just on oxygen via nasal cannula or the little oxygen that's blowing in your nose or oxygen via face mask, then we would not give dexamethasone. Steroids for COVID are different than steroids for fetal lung maturity. We do want to give somebody that could potentially deliver earlier than the 32nd week steroids. Before the pandemic, if you delivered before 37 weeks, you needed steroids for fetal lung maturity. But because there's some differences of opinions and recommendation, we have chosen to try to limit steroids to those that are below the 32 to 34 week mark because that is extremely premature. We know we need that to help the babies lungs mature so that the baby won't have any issues with respiratory distress syndrome or needing prolonged ventilation. And so we will give this patient two doses of what's called betamethasone or four doses of dexamethasone. They're the same class of steroids for acceleration of the baby's lungs. For these cases of severe COVID, the take-home lesson and the pearl for the day is that we should not be in denial of our symptoms. So now that we know that the baby could potentially be exposed, we need to act accordingly. So we need to act with urgency. So if you have symptoms, don't let your symptoms last for, you know, a couple of weeks before you go in. So this patient, let her symptoms last for two whole weeks. What if we would have started her on remdesivir a lot earlier than that? 
Could she have been recovered by now? Could she potentially decrease her risk of exposure to her baby? Well, potentially, yes. And so because we don't know enough about this, if you are pregnant, do not be in denial of your symptoms. Even if you're told to quarantine at home, you should come back in. So make sure you're proactive um, in taking care of yourself. Make sure you are offered treatment with an antiviral if you're on oxygen. Now let's hear from you. If you have any questions regarding unique situations about your pregnancy, feel free to email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com. One of our Pregnancy Pearl subscribers sent in this question. Dr. Plenty, we are a two-physician family with no family support in our area. My husband and I have both tested positive for COVID-19. My husband and I both have mild symptoms. I am still caring for our three children, ages one, four, and eight. They have all tested negative, but I worry about caring for my children. Who will care for them if something happens to us? Any thoughts or advice would be appreciated. There's a lot of things to take apart in this case. And so I thank thank you for um, asking your question. Thank you for sharing with us uh, your experiences of you and your husband. So your kids are likely exposed. So they tested negative. Um, you don't have any family. They still need to be tested again. So let's start there. Assume your children are positive. And if somebody is coming to help, they should also assume your children are positive until your kids are retested after being away from the household for at least two to four days. And I, and most people, if you've tested negative already and you're asymptomatic, um, they would caution you and tell you to wait another week before you get your children retested. So assume your kids are asymptomatic, but they're still carriers. Um, if you don't have family in the area, you may want to contact family that aren't in the area. And that family that aren't in the area may need to get the kids and take the kids where they are. That does mean that you could be potentially taking kids that are asymptomatic carriers to an area and exposing other people. And so if you're contacting your family and they're out of state, one, you want to make sure that they can drive and meet you somewhere if you and your husband aren't healthy enough to actually leave the house and drive. Two, when you are, because you're physicians, you should have access to N95 masks. So you should wear an N95 mask at all times around your children and you should wash your hands several times and then wear gloves to sanitize all the areas in the household. If you're in the car with your children, children over the age of two can have on a mask. Your one-year-old would not be able to have on a mask, but there are different barriers you can put between you and your one-year-old in the car if need be. But if again, if you have an N95 mask and you are wearing protective gear, then the chance of you exposing your children if they are negative is very, very low. But I would definitely encourage you to reach out to family that could potentially be within driving distance to see if they can take your kids. That family, if they have the resources, should come quarantine team, get tested, get the children tested, and then take the children once we know that they're negative. Doesn't mean they shouldn't take them if they know that they're positive, but it means that the handling and the car ride is going to be a lot different taking positive kids versus negative kids. But let's say you don't have any family that's in driving distance. Well, as long as you're healthy enough, you can continue to care for your children at home. And so, like I said, wear a mask at all times if you're around your children. Make sure you are wearing gloves when you have to sanitize areas in your household, which they should be sanitized very frequently. And you want to uh, wash your hands frequently. Washing your hands, making sure you have sanitizer everywhere in the house, and you encourage your kids to do so as well. So have them take their share in in cleaning. Make sure they're washing their hands and, and wiping things down after they touch and use things. It's going to be a lot harder with the one-year-old. You know, I have a one-year-old. 
he touches everything. So it's going to be a matter of everybody else being very diligent and keeping surfaces clean, um, keeping the floors clean because one year olds pick up everything, um, as well as wiping down and sanitizing toys. And that could be with 70% alcohol, spraying toys and letting them dry if they're not, you know, stuffed animals, if they can be wiped or making sure you are wiping and cleaning and putting things in the wash that can be washed frequently. So basically you just want to cut the virus down and make sure you're not exposing your children. The other thing is you have friends. I know your friends don't want to get COVID and you don't want your friends to get COVID, but that is one reason why it's very important to make sure your children get retested to make sure they are in fact still negative. And so if you have friends that can come and you know, do shift work. If you don't, they don't want to bring the kids to their house to expose people. Your friends can come over and wear protective gear and help take care of your children. Because if you, in the event that you do get sick and you're not able to cook and clean and take care of your kids, you're going to need help. So um, luckily you guys are health care workers, your physicians. I'm sure that you have other physician and nurse friends that feel comfortable putting on equipment to protect themselves and can come and help you. And so I would encourage you to reach out to those friends, especially those that are healthcare professionals who are used to um, being on the front lines and are used to knowing what steps to take to protect themselves so that you can have a rotational, uh, you know, a rotation of people that can help you care for your children. And then the other piece is if you are a friend and you say, you know, I can't provide care. What else can I do? I have kids of my own. I can't go and take a ship. Well, other things you could do is perhaps start a meal train, right? Get a calendar together and get your friends together and have people sign up for different days of the week that they can provide meals. And when I was pregnant after I delivered, my whole neighborhood did that for me. And I thought it was amazing. We did not have to cook for three whole weeks because our neighbors had a calendar and they would bring us enough food to last us two days. And every other day, someone new would come and ring the doorbell and they would leave the little dish right outside the door. And they did that because one, I had a lot of complications. Two, they, a lot of my neighbors were very skeptical about newborns. So they didn't want to come even in the house. And this was before the pandemic. There are other ways to help. Money is always a good option, right? So if you don't know how to help, you know, put money on somebody's Grubhub account or any mobile delivery app so that they can get food delivered to their house. All of those things help. And then Zoom check-ins, you know, perhaps you tell the eight-year-old, hey, I'm going to Zoom check-in the house every day at 10 a.m. So that way they are interacting with some other adult. Um, So these are just my suggestions. I mean, if you want to email your suggestions, that would be great. You can email them to me at my um, pregnancypearls at gmail.com email address. So in closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one else knows what's going on with your body except for you. Until next time. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty, produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.